Our Bible passage this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5 and verses 1 to 11. You can find this in the church Bibles on page 1132. 1132, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thank you, David. Good morning, everyone. My name's Andrew. I'm part of the church family here. We're going to be looking at this passage today, um, this well-known Christmas passage, Romans 5, 1 to 11. It would be great if you turned it up. If you haven't got it already, please turn it up, page 1132. It'd be a great help if you could have that open in front of you. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, page 1132. Isn't the Christmas tree wonderful? I'm really impressed. I'm not so impressed every year, but this year's Christmas tree <laughs> is really, really good. It's great. But you may be sitting here thinking, well, it's a bit odd. We've got Christmas. We're celebrating Christmas, but we're also celebrating communion. Christmas is at Christmas, and Communion celebrates something that happened at Easter. Jesus died and rose again. So what's, what's the link? Well, the link, of course, is that Jesus is the savior of the world. What did the angel say to the shepherds? Today is born to you in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus is the savior. And how did he save us? He saved by dying on the cross for our sins. That is fantastic good news. And that's why it's a great thing to do at the beginning of Christmas celebrations. I'm, you may not be, you may be in the middle of Christmas celebrations. I'm just beginning. It's great at the beginning of Christmas celebrations to remember Easter. 
to remember why Jesus came, that he came to be the savior of the world. So I'm praying that as we look at this passage, this passage in Romans 5 is going to remind us what we have and what we are if we're trusting in Jesus, if we're trusting in Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. I hope that many of us will be ready at the same time as we're listening and reading, that we'll be ready to to pray, to worship. You can lift your heart now to Jesus and be worshiping him. It'd be a great way to start Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have your word in our hands. Please take our lives into your hands and speak into them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's see how God has given us so much because he sent us Jesus as the saviour of the world the first Christmas. Firstly, I'm calling this part A. It's in verses 1 and 2. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. Look at verse 1, please. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified through faith. Uh, The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Rome, he's been talking about how we can get right with God, how we can be saved, how we can be forgiven. And so far in this letter, he's explained that it's through the cross, it's through what Jesus did on the cross that we are forgiven. If we trust in Jesus, then we are forgiven. Look what we have, though. Verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the problem is, nobody in this room, I think, is listening to that or reading that and is surprised. We know that we have peace with God. And the danger is, it leaves us cold. But actually, it's astonishing that we have peace with God when we remember what he is like. He is holy. He is righteous. He is light. There is no darkness at all in him. We are sinners. We've rebelled against God. And yet now, because of what Jesus did and because we trust in Jesus, we have peace with God. God has accepted us. We have become God's friends. This is the moment when you should feel free to worship. You have become God's friend if you're a truster in Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the proof that we have peace with God, there are two proofs for it in verse 2. First of all, we've gained access to God through whom we have gained access by faith. We have access to God. That is extraordinary. When you pray, when you talk to God, you don't have to cross your fingers and hope that you might get through. You have access to God because you're a truster in Jesus. You have freedom of speech at God's throne. You can talk to God. If you're talking to God now, and some of us are, then he is hearing you. He is listening to you. Because you're trusting in Jesus. You have access to God. The second evidence that we have peace with God is that we're standing in grace. 
We've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We're standing in grace. That means, among other things, God is never going to stop loving us. He's never going to stop being your friend if you're a truster in Jesus. He is never going to change his mind about you. This is astonishing. We're standing in grace and he is never going to let us go. So there's the first thing. Oh, let's be worshipping above Bar Church. Let's be thanking God that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is astonishing. Now that's so wonderful that Paul mentions this at the end of the passage as well. I've called it um, section A1. Have a look at verse 11 with me. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it comes. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, reconciliation is only necessary in a relationship when the relationship's broken, isn't it? When a relationship between human beings is broken down, then there's a need for reconciliation so that they can become friends. It's another way of talking about peace. Well, we, through Jesus, second half of verse 11, we have peace with God. We've received reconciliation. We are God's friends now and forever. It's the same thing as Paul said in verses 1 and 2. We have peace with God. Ah, oh, I'm just spending, taking a moment now just so that I can thank God. That I have peace with God through Jesus. Let's worship him. And the wonderful thing is, we have peace with God through Jesus, and Jesus is with us this morning. At Christmas, the angel, an angel said, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And he is with us now, Jesus, Emmanuel, he's here. Let's worship him because we have peace with God. Secondly, in verses 2 to 4, we rejoice in God. We rejoice in God. I've called this section B. Have a look at the end of verse 2. We boast in, in the hope of the glory of God. Now, boast, it's an odd word, isn't it? Because normally we use the word boasting. I use the word boasting when I'm boasting about something I've done. But actually Paul is using the word boasting because he's boasting about something God has done. And specifically, he's saying, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. This is Paul saying, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you trust in what Jesus did when he died on the cross, then you can boast, you can rejoice in the fact that one day you are going home to heaven. I look at our world, which is so messed up and so broken, I look at my life, which is so messed up and so broken in many ways, and I'm looking forward to going to heaven. If you're younger than me, and a few people here are, then you might not be so much looking forward to heaven. You might be thinking, well, there's all sorts of things I want to experience here on earth too. First, that's absolutely fine. I totally understand that. But still, you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, don't you? 
You think it's great. One day I'm going to see Jesus face to face. One day I'm going to be like him, the Bible says. One day I'm going to be the perfect me. So I rejoice. I'm going home. I'm astonished that there are people who, many, many people who cope with life and they think when they die, that's it. They're just blotted out. No more existence. I am astonished. Well, I'm rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. I'm boasting in it. Are you? It's there in you if you're a believer in Jesus. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but not just rejoicing in things, something that's going to happen one day that we're going home to heaven, rejoicing in what God is doing in our lives now. Look at verses three and four. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now that's weird, isn't it? Says at the beginning of verse three, we glory in our sufferings. Now let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we should be really happy when we have struggles and suffering. It doesn't mean we should enjoy suffering. It's not what it means. But what verses three and four are saying is if you're a believer in Jesus, if you trust in what Jesus did when he died on the cross, then you know that God is doing something in your life. He's working in you. He's changing you. He's helping you to become more like Jesus. And one of the things he uses for that is suffering and struggle. Now, every human being struggles and suffers. Everybody here, some people suffer more, some people suffer less. We've already prayed this morning for people who are in countries where there is huge suffering. But all of us suffer. All of us have struggles sometimes. The question is, how do we respond to those? And Paul is telling us in verses 3 and 4 how we should respond if we're Christians. Sometimes I do respond like this. Not always. I'll come to that in a minute. But sometimes I do respond like this. Look at, the, look at this list here. Suffering, it says in verse 3, produces perseverance. Sometimes when we suffer... When we struggle, our reaction is to say, I'm going to keep trusting Jesus. I'm going to keep following Jesus. I'm not going to give up. We persevere. And that produces character. That's the next thing in the list. If I'm determined to keep following Jesus, even when life is tough, then my character grows. I change. I become more and more the person God designed me to be. I'm, I become different. And that leads to the last thing in the chain, which is hope. Character produces hope. It means it strengthens my hope that one day I am going home to be with Jesus forever. Suffering, perseverance, character, hope. Now, Sometimes I don't react like that, and I suspect that maybe you don't either, or maybe I'm the only one here who reacts wrongly to struggle and suffering. There's another possible chain, four things that can happen when you, when you struggle or when you suffer. Here they are. Sufferings, disappointment, bitterness, despair. 
And I have to say, that is sometimes me. Sometimes when I suffer or I struggle or I see somebody else suffering and struggling, my reaction is not endurance, my reaction is not perseverance to keep on trusting, to keep on following Jesus. Sometimes my reaction is simply disappointment and then bitterness and then despair. I give up. Sometimes I'm like that. Some of you look very shocked. But isn't it true of you sometimes? Don't you react sometimes to struggle or suffering like that? But it's also true, isn't it, that in your good times, you you react rightly to suffering and struggle. Sometimes in your good times, when there's suffering, you persevere. And that leads to character growing. You become more like Jesus and that leads to your hope being strengthened that you're going to go home to be with Jesus one day. You may be sitting here thinking, well, I, I really I'm, I'm not, don't feel I've grown as a Christian very much at all. I do trust Jesus, but I don't feel I've grown very much. But you have grown. You may not think it's as much as it ought to be. But you are different from the way you were when you first became a Christian. Two months ago, six months ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you are different. The Holy Spirit is working in your life. He is changing you and that should make us rejoice in God, doesn't it? You are different. God has done a miracle in your life. We rejoice in God. And this is so good that Paul talks about it as also at the end of the passage. Have a look, please, at verses 9, 10, and 11. I've called this section A1. We rejoice in God. Now look at verses 9 and 10. It would help me if you just look at those verses for a moment. If you look at verses 9 and 10, you'll see they've got something in common. I wonder if you can work out what it is. I will, I'm going to tell you anymore, anyway, because I'm a preacher. I'm going to tell you. But look at verses 9 and 10. They have something in common. They are both sentences with the phrase in it, in them, how much more? And the how much more means in verse 9 and in verse 10 that Paul is getting excited and that he's rejoicing in God. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And the translators can tell that Jesus is rejoicing, so they decided to put an exclamation mark at the end of verse 9. Look at verse 10. If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And the translators put an exclamation mark again because they can see that Paul is rejoicing in God. It is astonishing what God has given us in Jesus. We rejoice in God. We can do that now. Even if you're going through a tough time at the moment, you can lift your heart and rejoice in God. It doesn't mean feeling happy. You may not be feeling happy at the moment, but you can lift your heart and you can rejoice in God. You can rejoice because you have the hope of the glory of God. You'll see Jesus one day and be like him. 
and you can rejoice because God is working in your life, changing you. Do you want to do that now? Rejoice? And the great thing is when we rejoice in God, Jesus, Emmanuel, is here with us. He is God with us. He is here. He wants to hear us. He wants to to respond. He wants us to respond to rejoice in God. So there's the, the two things we've looked at so far. It's got me worshipping. I may be the only one here, but it's got me worshipping. We have peace with God. We rejoice in God. Here's the third thing. It's the central thing in the whole passage. It's verses 5 to 8. We are loved by God. We are loved by God. How do we know that we're loved by God? Well, there are two ways we know we're loved by God. The first one is in verse 5, because of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Verse 5, hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This means that the Holy Spirit assures us in our hearts that we are loved by God. Now, this may be an overwhelming feeling of emotion for you, or it may not be, but there is a, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have the assurance deep down, God loves me. Don't you? And you can pray that that will grow. You can pray that you'll begin to feel it more and more, but the, but the experience is there. The Holy Spirit assures us that we are loved by God. But the most wonderful way in which we can be sure that God loves us is by looking to see what Jesus has done. And that's there in verses 6, 7, and 8. Verses 6, 7, and 8 are the center of the passage. They remind us what Jesus has done and they bring us to the cross. They, and that's what we're going to do when we come to this table, when we eat and we drink. We're going to be thinking about what Jesus did on the cross for us. It is astonishing, you know, that God loves us. Just when I look at you, I think it's astonishing that God loves you. It is astonishing that God loves us. Especially when you think what we're like without Jesus. Do you see that in verse 6? Without Jesus, we're powerless and we are ungodly. We're powerless, we can't save ourselves. We're ungodly, we're not the people we ought to be. Verse 10 says, without Jesus, we're God's enemies. And that's all summed up, powerless, ungodly enemies. It's summed up by the word in verse 8, without Jesus, we count as sinners. But God has decided to love us. God has decided to send Jesus into the world to be the saviour the first Christmas. He came into the world. And the first Easter, he died on the cross. He took our punishment onto his shoulders. Verse 6, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It's the death of Jesus that saves us. He took the punishment we deserve. 
Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Now look at verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That word demonstrates, you could apparently translate it as proves. You want the proof that God loves you? Look at the cross. Jesus died for sinners. And it is extraordinary that Jesus died. The trouble is we've heard that so often. There's never a Sunday goes by at a bar without us hearing that Jesus died. But it is extraordinary. He is the eternal son of God. But because of his love for us, he went to the cross and he died. Jesus died. His heart stopped beating. His mind stopped thinking. His body stopped moving. He died. And that is the proof of God's love for us. God loves you. And the cross is the proof of it. And when we come to eat and to drink, to remember what Jesus did for us in dying on the cross, we are remembering, I am loved by God. We are loved by God. Some of you already have heard these before, but I'm going to say them again because it does me good to say them. Here are the four love sentences, and then I'm going to stop. The four love sentences. This is just amazing for me about God's love. Here we go. God will never love you less than he loves you today. Secondly, God cannot love you more than he loves you today. Thirdly, God will never stop loving you. And fourthly, it's my favorite of the four, God never started loving you. He never started loving you because he has always loved you. Even before the world was made, even before anyone else had thought of you, God knew your name and he loved you. We are loved by God. And God proves that love at the cross. My prayer for us when we eat and drink in a few moments is that our hearts will be filled with gratitude. And that we'll be thinking, I have peace with God. I rejoice in God. I am loved by God. Let's fill this place with worship, not just when we're singing, but when we're eating and drinking too. Let's, let's be praying, let's be praising, let's be worshipping. 
And that puts Christmas in the right context. Then we're experiencing Christmas with Emmanuel, God with us, with Jesus. And remembering why he came into the world. Oh, I'm so glad I'm a Christian. Let's pray together. Just a moment of silence. Just think about those three things. Maybe one of them has particularly struck you. We have peace with God. We rejoice in God. We are loved by God. Let's worship in the silence. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus into our world. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you willingly went to the cross. So many of us here, we are trusting in you. We thank you that we have peace with God. We rejoice in God. And we know we are loved by God. Father, we pray that as we come to this table, as we come to eat and to drink and to remember what Jesus did, we pray that we will be worshipping you and that our hearts will be full of thankfulness. And we pray that that will carry on right through Christmas and beyond. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are God with us, Emmanuel. We praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.